0: If you would take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 87. Last week we looked at Psalm 86. It's the only Psalm of David in Book 3 of the Psalter. And in verse 9 we read this one verse that says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. This is a verse that is showing us what the nature of the New Covenant church will be like. It will not be just a nation, but rather all nations will be brought into the fold as the people of God. And when we get to Psalm 87, we see the completion of this. So, as we read Psalm 87, we're reading a prophetic psalm of what it, the picture of the new covenant is and what will be a result of Christ coming, Christ first coming. And so, what we see here is that picture of all nations coming to worship Christ. This is what we would see as the realization of the church. And again, this is what we see as a picture of the new covenant. The superscription reads A Psalm of the Sons of Korah, a song. And this would be something that we would sing and worship, proclaiming the wonderful truths of God's promises that are realized today in Christ. Beginning in verse 1. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading of it. You see in the first two verses a statement of God's particular love for Zion. You could say this is God's electing love. It's a love that is distinguished not as a common love or a general love of God, but a particular love love of God is mentioned here. And as we look at this particular love for Zion, notice how it speaks of the action of God in the city of which his people will reside in. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. This is referring to the Lord's founding of a city. It's God's election of Zion. It's a city that is to be inhabited by people that is not only a people brought into the city by God's own choice, but the city itself is set apart. It is marked by God. When you see that phrase, He founded... That is speaking of God's eternal election of a people that would be brought into the fold. It would be God's eternal election upon a people to be worshipers and to know him. When we see what the the idea of Zion is and how it would look, We're told in Psalm 132, verse 14, This is my resting place forever. Here I dwell, for I have desired it. This is speaking of what Zion is. is Zion is a place of God's dwelling. Now, you know that if you read in Israel's history, God's presence was absent at different points In Israel's history. And why was God's absence uh, in in Zion? Why, Why was He absent from Zion? Well, because in the Old Covenant, His presence was often based upon the idea of their conditional obedience. As long as they did the right things, then God would be there in their midst. Well, God leaves the temple. In Ezekiel. And he doesn't return until Christ walks in the temple himself. And so God's presence is what is promised here. It is God's presence that is going to mark it apart. We see that the city is the Holy Mount, stands the city. That is, that it's a place that is set apart. And why is it set apart? It's because it's been holy. And what makes something holy? Well, what makes something holy is the presence of God. And so the presence of God is what marks this mount as being considered holy. It is what he founded. It is what he has chosen of his eternal decree. We might say, well, what exactly is Zion? Notice in verse 2 it says, "...the Lord loves the gates of Zion." more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. What is, what is Zion exactly? Well, according to the scriptures, Zion is defined by the king. In Second Samuel, in chapter 5, in verse 7, we read this, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. When we think of what Zion is, we have to see that Scripture states it synonymously with the city of David. So, Zion is the city of David. But let me just put it another way, is Zion is the city over which the king presides. Zion is the place where David rules, or the son of David rules, So what we see marked here in this psalm so far is this whole mount, that is, it's set apart, that was founded by God, the, the structures of it, the foundations of it, all of it's put in place by God, and that it is the place where the king is ruling over. And what we see next is that the Lord loves it. God loves it. Now, why does God love? Well, the first thing we have to recognize is there is nothing in man that compels God to love man. Even if man was completely obedient to God, man has not offered anything that they didn't, weren't obligated to offer to God. Even in our obedience, even when we're obedient, we're not contributing anything. We're just simply doing what we as the creation Oh and are responsible to our creator in. But we see this idea of God's love in Deuteronomy 7. And we have to, before we get to there, we have to say, just simply summarize it this way. God chooses to love. God chooses to love. And because God is eternal, the choice of love is also thus eternal. God doesn't begin to love at a point in time, but because God is eternal, God is immutable, there's no change in God, then the choice of love is an eternal love. That is why we see Paul say that in love he predestined us before the foundations of the world, because God is eternal. Now what does it say of his love in Deuteronomy 7.7? 7, 7, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. This love was not because of anything special in Israel. It was by God's sovereign election, by God's sovereign choice of a people. There is no meritorious cause for God's love. We have to get that straight so many struggle with the idea of God's sovereign election. But we always have to come back to the fact of, did I do something that merited God's love? Often we say, well, God is love. That's right, God is love. And there's a a general love of God, that we should recognize that is a general love of God that all of creation experiences. But we, we we have to understand something of God's special love. And God's special love is actually shown in degrees, even in our text. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more. Speaking of a special love that is different than this other love that is a general love that God has. You see this even with Christ in washing the disciples' feet. He loved those to the end that were his. He has a special love upon his people. And so when we think of God's love here and this electing type of love, we cannot think of it in terms of God's general love, but we have to think of it in terms of just as the, the text says, it's that more than love. This is that electing Love of God. It is that love of God that takes someone from darkness that they may walk in light. It is which takes them from being uh, filthy to being clean. It is what takes them from being sinful to becoming holy. Just as this holy mount is that God has founded, now is one that is considered holy. We also see That the Lord's presence in this city makes the city glorious. Verse three: glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. It's it's interesting as you read commentaries on Psalm 87, how many of the commentators will note of this glorious things of you are spoken that many commentators will go and recount aspects of Israel's history that would have incited conversation amongst people. In other words, it's, many of the commentators were saying this is something literal that we should see, is that there is something glorious in Israel's history that people would have discussed. You think of the Exodus, you would have think, them, think of them conquering the land, and, and all of the impossible battles that were, were won through God's intervention. Wonderful things, glorious things of Israel are spoken. But when we see this in its ultimate fulfillment, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God, this is going to be that which all nations say of the city of God. So while the history of Zion was one where the people experience tremendous blessings as God, we have to recognize why Zion is glorious. And Zion is glorious because that is the choice that God has made to have his presence. In fact, he says in Deuteronomy 12.11, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, your contribution that you present and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. The Lord tells us that he has chosen this place, that his presence will be there, and that is what makes it glorious. However, what do we often see in Israel's history? It doesn't always seem that glorious. So, when we read this, glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God, it's looking future. It's looking into the future, and that this will be a permanent presence of God, and glory will be there. You see, that glorious is speaking of weighty things. The weight of Zion was God's presence. That's what makes it weighty. And when God's presence departed, there was no weightiness to it. You think of the implications for what the New Testament says of who we are as a people of God. Which again, this is what it's looking forward to. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. In verse 4 we can we can accept all of this and if we were sitting in the synagogue in the first century after the time of Christ we would have amen verses 1 through 3 but in the synagogue verses 4 through 5 might have become uncomfortable in fact it might have been very uncomfortable for those during the time of David and after some commentators believe this was written during the time of Hezekiah Others think that it might have been during uh, a later period of time. We don't know. Uh, it seems that it was in Hezekiah's time because of the sum of the languages used is reminiscent of that of Isaiah who prophesied during some of Hezekiah's period of time. But I want you to notice what it says. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Now, that word know me is that they know God. The Lord's enemies will know God according to this verse. Those that are the the born, natural born enemies. So what we see here is the corporate election of nations. That there will be nations that are enemies of God that will actually come in. Rahab and and Babylon, you think of it as the two surrounding enemies of of Israel, is what it's referring to here. Think of what God says of Rahab. Rahab is Egypt, by the way. Psalm 89, verse 10, You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. That's what's spoken of of Rahab. Is that Rahab is an enemy. And certainly we know throughout all of the Old Testament how Egypt is an enemy of God. In Isaiah 51, and verse 9, we read this, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old was the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? We have to understand the nature, the radical nature of what's stated Rahab was an enemy. Egypt was an enemy. But I want you to notice the attitude toward Babylon. Turn over with me to Psalm 137 and look at the words. This is an exile psalm. Psalm 137 says this, By the waters of Babylon there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. They were in Babylon, thinking back upon Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors' mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Why were they saying that? They were tormenting them. Sing, sing one of your patriotic songs for us. And if they sang them, they could mock them that we conquered you. You're our slaves. Look what it says, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If you forget, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. What he's saying is, remember how we were torn down by this enemy. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. They were horrible to the Israelites. They were horrible to them in how they treated them. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. So you have Psalm 86 that says that Babylon, or excuse me, Psalm 87, that says Babylon will know me, they will know the Lord, you go over to Psalm 137, blessed is the one who takes their children and throws them against rocks. Both are God's word. It illustrates the point of this text that is shocking. Those that were the enemies of God's people are said to now know God. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush, the Philistines were the enemies of God's people. The Philistines constantly were warring with God's people. What does it say, of them though? They're among those who know me. They know me. No, Hang on that word. What is this referring to that Babylon would know God? Well, this is a promise of the new covenant, isn't it? Jeremiah 31, 34, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. You mean the ones that were the ancient enemies? God will forgive them and know their, no, know their sin um, no more. He will remember it no more, but they will be forgiven? They will know God. They will actually come to the city of God and worship God. That's the promise of the new covenant. God says this is what's going to happen. In fact, it's going to be so drastic that they're going to say this one was born here. This one was born here, that the enemies of God's people were to be counted as though they were actually born in Zion. That there's not to be a distinction in terms of God's people. You're not going to have those that are Jewish over here and then the Babylonians that are going to be second tier Christians, but rather they will all know God and it will be as if they were all there born together. Of the same lump. The enemies of God's people were to be counted as God's people. This is, the, the, by the way, this is exactly in anticipation of the new covenant. Before Jeremiah even states it, he anticipates this of the nations coming in. In Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 16, And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, The ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it in the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. All nations will gather unto the people of God. This is shocking language for the psalmist. And so the psalmist is simply looking forward to what would come with the Messiah and in the days of the Messiah. When I was in seminary, I took a class on missions, and one of our projects was this, is to go through the Old Testament and mark all the places where you saw the the prophecy or a statement of Gentile inclusion. It was remarkable how many verses there were. In fact, on a Wednesday night prayer meeting, I just went through and read all of those verses with no commentary, and it was incredible. Because you you see that God's plan wasn't a mistake, but from the beginning. You think of Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. You think of Psalm 2. What does it say of the nations? Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. That all the nations will come unto the Lord. This is when they will know the Lord. This is when they will recognize their own guilt before the Lord and cry out to the Lord. And the Lord will count them as if they were born there. Verse 5 goes on in Psalm 87. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her For the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord makes former enemies no different than His own people. And you begin to see the the election of the individuals. In verse 4, began to really show the nations coming unto God. Verse 5 takes it down to the individual. Notice what it says, this one and that one. Now, it's referring to, to individuals, individuals. So election comes to all nations, but is the election of individuals in all nations, as it kind of hones down, no nation is excluded because all are welcome. And when we see this idea of, in verse 4, this one was born here, and then in verse 5, this one was born here, again in verse 6, this one was born here, We have to be thinking of the new birth because this is referring to the new birth. Why will it be that there are those that are born there and treated as they are born there? It's not because of a natural birth. It's because of a supernatural birth. It's because of a birth from above. It's because of a new birth. It's to be born again. It's regeneration that it's referring to. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. One cannot be part of Zion where the king is presiding over it. They're outside of it, they're not in that kingdom. Jesus says in verse 5 of John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus is referencing Ezekiel 36, that they would be washed clean. That is, that they would be now, as they would be sanctified, that they would be set apart. And that is what Jesus is referring to when he speaks of their new birth. Why is it that the enemies of God, Babylon, those that hated God's people, now they're they're not only forgiven, they know God, but they're treated as they were born there is because they received the same birth that everyone receives that's part of the kingdom. A supernatural birth. It's a sovereign work of God. What we see here, for the Most High himself will establish her. The Most High Himself is the one who will do this. And so through and through, it is a work of God that continually takes place. In the Song of Moses in Exodus 15, 17, it says, You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, Just as this morning as we saw that you look on the Passover either temporally or spiritually, if we look at this spiritually, it's only fulfilled in a promising way in Christ. But this idea to be established is to be made firm. And so it's speaking of the sureness of salvation of those that are in the covenant. And that is an eternal salvation. God's election of a people in the new covenant is drastically different than the old covenant. God's chosen people were chosen to bring about a seed, but they could fall away. But he who begins a good work in you will see it to completion. And so that God establishes it is something that it cannot ever be removed. So how is it possible that individuals from all nations would be brought in? Well, Christ is how. By union with Christ, all nations are brought in. In fact, Paul says of this in Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So what was stated in Psalm 87 as being future that these nations will come in and they will be one and they will know God, what does Paul say? This is right now. You are present tense. The realization of Psalm 87 is not the future, but is actually right now. It's something that is present, and it's built on the foundation, Paul goes on to say, Of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we see our new birth brings us into this new nation, into the kingdom, but it is our union with Christ that makes all nations one so that there is no hostility between them, but they are one people of God, made up of all nations. That's the wonderful truth that the sons of Korah are prophesying that would come about. And notice verse 6. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. That idea of registers the people, you think of the places where we see that people's name is written in a book. We see in Isaiah 4, verse 3, the same use of this language. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. They've been called holy. It's an accomplished fact that they're set apart as holy. God himself does this. God is the one that that registers them. God is the one that records them. And you think of, as we get to the final book of the Bible, what does it say of this Revelation twenty one twenty seven, but nothing unclean. Why? Because that which is holy is there. And only that which is holy is there. There's nothing unholy there. And that's what it's been, the psalmist has been telling us this whole time. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, those whom the Lord has registered. Calvin says this, God, it is true, wrote the names of his children in the book of life before the creation of the world, but he enrolls them in the catalog of his saints only when having regenerated them by the spirit of adoption, he impresses his own mark upon them that they are then registered. They'll be seen as born there. And so God sees his new covenant people as one united by birth, but again, not a natural birth, a supernatural birth. So when he records him, he'll say, this one was born there. Well, What's the result of this? In verse 7, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs Are in you. Many note how difficult it is to understand what springs mean. And there's several different views of it. Basically, this verse is saying, The people will praise the Lord. The joy of the people will that they will have will be in the Lord. Where the Lord's presence is, there is joy. This is why. Heaven and being in the presence of Christ for all of eternity will be joyful because the Lord's there. To be in his presence would be to experience his joy. When you think of springs, it it literally means springs. Springs of water flowing. And so the source of all life is in the Lord. And they will say this, our life is in you. And if you look at the the language of rivers and all of that, not only in John chapter 7, but then in Revelation, which seems to be referring to the Spirit, there's much to think of this verse. This is the picture of the new covenant where people know God, where people have been brought in by a, Supernatural birth. We can't help but see though here in this pointing to our mission. The Great Commission in which all nations will come into Zion through the Lord's sovereign election. But the Lord's sovereign election comes through means. And the means is this, is that it is the preaching of the word of God. It is the sharing of the gospel. So while we strongly assert the wonderful truth of God's election, that no one is brought in apart from God's election, we also know that that happens through the means of the preaching of the gospel. And so our goal, our mission, is then to proclaim the gospel unto all nations, unto all people. That is to be what we do. It should be our our desire. You think of what Paul said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. May that be our desire. It's not about us. It's not about what we win. It's, It's about the glory of God. And the glory and the weightiness of God being recognized through the singing of the saints in worship to him. Think of all of the nations in Revelation that it says are worshiping God. Well, that comes about through the preaching of God's word. There's something else that we have to see in this, and we have to recognize not only our mission, but the fact is this is that Scripture in the New Testament makes it very clear that the people of God are the temple of God. We're not waiting for another temple. The temple has been established and is being built and will be built until Christ returns. We're not waiting for another temple. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Pretty clear. And that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Why? Because by the Spirit, God's presence is in his people. We are that temple. We are that newly constituted people brought about through the supernatural work of regeneration. And how is it that we could say, well, we, we, we say this very truly that it's because the Spirit dwells in us. It is the Spirit that unites us to the Son. And what do we know about the Son? The Son said this. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, but you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. And therefore, he was raised from the dead. His disciples remembered that he has said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus has spoken. Jesus is the new temple. And his people that are brought by the Spirit in union with him are building upon that. This is why Peter says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God Through Jesus Christ. You are that temple. You are that holy city, is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ over which the king presides. That is the holy Zion where the king rules over it. This is our comfort. This is our joy what a wonderful truth of the gospel that those that were former enemies of God, you and I, are brought into the fold and made new. We've experienced new birth and we're now counted as a beloved people, precious and holy in God's sight. That's the wonderful truth of the new covenant. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For the truth of your word, we thank you for regeneration that you make us new, that you give us willing hearts to to love you, to obey you, and to choose and rest in Christ. We thank you for Christ and his work upon the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. We thank you that you have made Christ head of the church as our sovereign king over your holy people. We know that our holiness is not our own, but is purely you setting us aside in your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand and take your hymns of grace.